0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Slick Tree Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Langford. The point of this show is to help improve ourselves as dogmen and to raise the quality of the dogs on the end of our lead. So let's settle in, turn the volume up, and let's see if we can't learn a trick or two together from our guests.
1: tell people if you ever saw mike tyson in his prime mike tyson had little skinny forearms and little skinny um lower legs but his thighs and upper arms were humongous and that's kind of the way apache was built and he had super super short hair i don't know how he didn't freeze to death for the first three years of his life up in west virginia but it served him well down here because he never got hot i mean he get hot but man he would tree as hard if it was 85 degrees outside, you know, on the on the last tree of, you know, the hunt, as he would on the first hunt, well, the, the first tree. I mean, he was just a freak of a physical, his stamina was just absolutely amazing. I've never seen another dog like it since. If the Loudons ever hear this, it won't make them happy because it was always a touchy subject with him. So I don't know what you heard or think you heard about Apache, but, you know, for reasons I think I understand after all these years you know a lot of people used to claim swear up and down that he was ill-tempered um but that was not the case um, but that was kind of the reputation that people some of the the worst people about putting that narrative in that rumor out there were actually people who had never hunted with him or only hunted with him like a time or two. I never had to withdraw the dog for fighting him, you know, handling, you know, in numerous hunts when he was young. But so, yeah, one of the funny stories I was going to say is that the 50th anniversary hunt where he won the everything up there, um, the squirrel hunt, the coon hunt, consequently the combo award, and even won, um, the bench show. We came inside and back in those days, I was writing the, uh, Column for the OMCBA for full cry, and so I was also the cameraman. So I wanted to get, you know, I would get everybody's picture whether I placed or not. And so, got his picture right off the bat because we went from first to tenth, and uh, gave him to Brent Wood to walk on outside, go ahead and get him on that because I had nine more photographs to take, you know, of, to to of the the re- remaining of the top ten. And, of course, I'm busy taking photographs, but Brent told me later on, he said, man, he said, I walked out of that door, <laughs> going to the front porch towards the uh, tree contest pole. And he said, Lord, he said, as soon as that door opened up and that dog walked, because Apache walked around, Kobe, like he owned the place. He just had a kind of mannerism about him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you understand, but I mean, oh, yeah. when he walked around, I mean, he walked around like he was the shit. OK, like full of the woods kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Other dogs may be barking and pulling at him and all that kind of stuff. He just kept on walking. Just, you know, just and real, you know, proud. Brent Wood said as soon as he opened that door to the damn clubhouse and stepped out on that porch, he said, he said, Marcus said, I felt like Moses. He said there were women and children falling all over. He said, you would have thought I had a damn alligator on the end of the leash or something <laughs> <laughs> because, again, people had heard that and there were some people that, you know, even ones that, you know, I, at one time considered pretty good friends of mine that, you know, would, would would put forth that narrative, I guess, just because, you know, there are people out there. Yeah, they are not rare in the tree dog world who think if they badmouth somebody else's dog, that's going to somehow make what they've got in their feed back at the house or on the end of their leash better. And so people used to say things like that.
0: Is that where the, uh, if you can't beat them, eat them slogan came from?
1: Right. And so, exactly. So you've seen that, um that little, probably that little uh, license plate. So exactly, that's who that came from was Brent Wood. After the 50th anniversary hunt, he went on back to uh, Arkansas and he had that made up. And the next time we met up was probably at the uh, September hunt or whatever. He may have, or because it wasn't hunting season yet then, because he's come over and hunt with But Yeah. Brent brought that brought that to me he said hey he said you know I, you know i'm your buddy he said i don't mean anything other than make- i said look man i said this is perfect it's absolutely perfect so yeah that's actually where that came from it came from brent the guy that i was saying who was before alan franklin he was the vice president of the ocba and a board member and a dear friend of mine and all that like i said that's where i got that streaks mandy dog from and um brent had brought down dogs to breed to him and brent owned a hardwoods hardwood dagger um 06 OMCBA world squirrel champion so yeah Brent's a very I don't see Brent like I probably should and all that but yeah he was a dear friend but yeah that license plate if you can't beat him beat him Brent was the one that had that made up somewhere up there in Arkansas and the next time we met up with one other he brought it to gave it to me so it's on the wall of my cabin over in the Delta right now
0: I've seen pictures of it on that you post on Facebook of it yeah before sometime or that, another. that's that's
1: the story behind that because like I said I told Brent I said hey man go ahead and take him on out there. And uh, so I can go ahead and finish these up because we need to go ahead and get started on the train contest and the bench show and all that. And so he said he, he walked straight to the door, opened the door up, and that dog stepped out there. And he said there were people falling all over themselves so like they'd seen a damn wild tiger or something walking around on the ground. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> all right, everybody, before we get too far off in the weeds, you are listening to the Slick Tree Podcast. I'm your host Colby Langford and today I've got with me Mr. Mark Morrison. We are starting our first installment of a good old dog series and today's episode is about Mountain State Apache. How are you doing today Mark?
1: I'm doing fine Colby. I appreciate you uh, doing this.
0: I think there's a lot of people I know I'd, I I always want to talk to you but just hear what you had to say about Apache. He's a, in most dogs pedigrees it seems like these days and uh, I think everybody'd like to listen to what you got to say about him and learn a little bit more about what their dogs are out of.
1: Okay, well, I'll do my best to uh, not bore everybody.
0: So what can you tell us about Apache? What was what was he like to hunt with? How, how would he be if you just took him out and got him out of the dog box and went to go and snap and go hunting?
1: Well, I hunted him, you know, day and night for pleasure and competition. Now, when I first got him, um, if I remember correctly, I think the Loudons, Chuck and Adam, who I bought him from, primarily Adam, it was Adam's dog, I think they had only taken him less than a half a dozen times at night, but he had treated a few coons for them up in uh, West Virginia. So, but, you know, he was green as grass when it came to coon hunting. So that took a little while. Um, but as far as being a squirrel dog, um, you know, he was a, I can't take any credit for making him into a squirrel dog. Maybe he got a little bit better or, you know, maybe because I learned him, you know, this is habits and, tendencies and what have you, but I always kept him in superb shape. But uh, no, he was he was a finished product in the squirrel woods and uh, pretty much a turnkey dog to uh, cut loose in a squirrel competition cast. I think he drew a grand total of 300 minus points in his entire career as a competition squirrel dog. I think Adam hunted him a lot in WTDA hunts that were popular up in that area. And I think he drew a first tree minus, and their first trees were 125 points. I actually drew a second tree minus with him when I handled him in an NKC hunt here in Mississippi, but um, retreated him immediately and, and had the squirrel, so I basically broke even there. And then because I was so frustrated, I think I had three second places in the daytime and three second places at night on him. And I just couldn't get that first place in the OMCBA to make him a squirrel champion. So I went to a hunt in Arkansas and, uh, approached Dwayne Holland and we swapped dogs. And I said, Hey, I said, if you can, uh, put a first place win on him, I said, uh, there's $500 for your trouble. I said, cause I can't get it to save my life. <laughs> so, and, and at the tail end, I mean, you know, they weren't, they didn't have a very good cast as far as in terms of producing plus points, as I recall. But Apache just was, you know, leading the, the care and the cast the whole time from start to finish. And right at the very end, while they're standing up on the ridge and Apache was down in the hollow by himself, no other dog tree about, uh, Oh, Dwayne told me like maybe five, ten seconds to go on the tree time. He just uh, went on off and made another tree somewhere after the time. We ran out there the end of the hunt, so he did draw 100 minus there. So it's 125, 75, and 100. yeah, so he had a grand total of 300 minus in his entire life. That is impressive. Yeah. He was one of those um, – Although I didn't always do it because I overthought things, but he was—he was about as the only other dog I had that was truly a one-bark tree dog. Perhaps more than him, was a daughter of him called Lonesome Dove. Several years ago, when Lonesome Dove opened her mouth, you could go ahead and call her. So, but uh, but her daddy was very very similar, day or night.
0: What uh, what was his range like? Whenever you're hunting him, on average, would he just go till he found a squirrel would he go produce one or would he would he kind of hunt looped in circles or
1: probably more of the latter but of of the the, what you just last said he hunted kind of more like a bird dog um he wasn't very tracky um hunted with his head up like like i think a good cur dog should um we're very blessed you know most of the especially the pleasure hunting that i did with him um Most of that was over in the South Mississippi Delta on tracks of public land, which is game bridge. You know, we have some years that are better than others, obviously, and a lot of it depends on flooding. But long story short is if I have a dog that I got to routinely walk 300 yards or more to a tree, I need a different dog because, you know, we have a lot of game. And so in over here, you know, I'd say. On a good day, he probably would never get more than 300 yards. On a slower day, you know, he would maybe reach out regularly at 500. But if he didn't tree anything, um, he wouldn't come to you, wouldn't come up back behind you. But you could see him kind of making a figure eight through the woods. And if you wanted to put your hands on him and move to a different spot or just pack it in for the day, because it was just a slow day for whatever reason, then you could call him. He'd come to you. You you know, he had a good handle
0: on him. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Adam had done a lot of, uh, you know, work with him as far as um, handling. You know, they kept him in the house some. I mean, he was, hell, in his later years, he was, I don't think he ever messed up in our house. And he spent about the last 18 months or so um, at night in the house here with my wife. That was was her dog down the stretch. He would hardly listen to me the last year to two years of his life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, What can you tell us about the dogs he was out of?
1: So his father was Hall of Fame Franklin Stunder. Franklin Stunder was one of several well-known um, males out of Street Jr. in Georgetown, what some people would call the cross of the nineties or what have you. And so that was his sire that Alan Franklin, I think, got from Kenny Smith many years ago, but owned him for most of his life. And then his mother was a dog called Pepper. And Pepper was a half-brother, half-sister cross. She was basically a, a uh, double grandpub of Dust Bob. And so he was Street Junior, Georgette on one side, and Heavy Dust, Double Dust Bob Red on the other. And so I think Danny Wilkinson is the one that kind of coined this phrase, or at least he's the one I remember first saying it, because there was a couple of dogs back in the, early 2000s, that kind of had that recipe of either Mountain Jackson or Street Junior and Georgette on one side and Duff's Bob on the other. And so the phrase that Danny and me and James Mincer and a few others used to use is the streak could make them go, but that Duff's Bob would make them stay. Because that was the knock on some of the uh, Mountain Jackson dogs back in the day that they would hunt, set the woods on fire, find game, but especially when they were young, it, and if they got some depth in there on a slow day, it was kind of 50 50 as to whether you would get to them in time to make them stay and work with them at you know at the tree until they matured. Mm-hmm. But now the Dust Bob dogs um, were known for their hard, intense tree, and they're a little bit bigger, grittier dogs and what have you. So it was a good balance, if you will. Mm hmm and so that's that's his breeding and that's something that i strive for i had hunted with um, red river posse um before we got on there. we talked about our original partner with apache was dr lawrence mosley and he owned 2003 world squirrel champion red river posse and she was um bred that way she was um daddy was was a uh thus bob red dog and her mama was a street junior George bred dog. And so Danny Wilson also owned Lucky Hank, who was out of uh, Mountain Jackson on top, but Ohio Bobby. And Ohio Bobby was nothing but a but a full sister to Apache's mama's um, parents. So same kind of breed that's kind of, you know. I get tickled on reading on the Internet when some newbie gets on there and says, well, you know, what's the, what's the best line of dogs? And, of course, everybody gets on there and says what they and their neighbors. My friends. Yeah, <laughs> me and my friends have the best dogs. And so I guess, you know, early on, um, I start off with some street, heavy streak junior uh, when specifically Jordan Creek Tag, who's also in the Hall of Fame with Franklin's Thunder, were the dogs that I am. And all those dogs went back to dogs that Danny Wilkson and James Mintzer had. And so those were guys that I hung out with. And because I was relatively new to the original Mountain Curb breed. But I could read a pedigree. And I could look them up in the uh, yearbook back at the time. And so I kind of, you know, studied some pedigrees and went hunt with some of those dogs. Ohio Bobby was still living, which was, um, again, a full sister to... Uh, not sister, but a full sister to Apache's mama's parents. So kind of some of the same breeding. Mm -hmm. And I, I liked the way they hunted. They were athletic. But when they treed, they treed with some authority. And a lot of the more heavily street bred dogs, you know, lacked a little bit of intensity at the tree, a little bit of tree power.
0: Apache definitely left his uh, mark on the breed. What can you tell us about him as a reproducer? What, what did he cross really well with, in your opinion?
1: So, as far as a reproducer, he probably wasn't bred in, in, in hindsight as much as he probably should have been. You know, I had some females here that I bred into with some moderate success. And then um, others, you know, of course, bred to him both before I bought him from the Loudons. They had, had made some crosses. And before we got on the air, you know, I told you that Alan Franklin was actually the one that brought him to me at the March Hunt in 05 because he had him up at his house in Ohio breeding him to Franklin's ginger, which is Geronimo's mom and also Tank's mom. And that was actually the litter that he was adding there to breed was what ultimately produced the 2020 Tank, the Looney's dog, which is Hummer's daddy and Festus' daddy, and so on and so forth. So, um, And the reason why that was a good cross, because I don't know a whole lot about, and I'm nobody's definition of a master breeder of any animals, including cur dogs, but one of the reasons why I think that cross worked really well for Allen and Loudens and what have you is because Apache and Ginger were half brother and half sister, the common denominator being they were both out of Franklin's Thunder who with the benefit of what we know now you know we can talk about what a great reproducer hummer was geronimo tank capachi thundersport and all that but the common denominator there is franklin's thunder so at the end of the day arguably the best reproducer of one of the most famous mountain curve crosses of street jr and george Edda was franklin's thunder because the Proof's kind of in the pudding now that there's been successive generations. But um, as far as him being a reproducer, you know, there were others, certainly better. And uh, a lot of them got bred a lot more. There were a lot worse. But, uh, you know, I think if bred thoughtfully and bred back to something that went back to Street Junior, Georgetta Cross, or Dust Bob, Pine Knot, Tiger Paws, Um, You usually got a very athletic dog. You got a smart dog. You got a dog with some uh, tree intensity. And if you did your part, you had a good chance of having something you'd be proud of. So um, as far as probably the best cross other than with Ginger that I just talked about, the best cross that I made um, with him while he lived here was probably with Todd and Gavin Jackson's female. They had one of her registering was... Gavin's Taylor Creek, but we called her Taylor. And, uh, she was, uh, kind of a buckskin, almost what traditional blonde Kimmer color dog. Mm-hmm. She was, um, a good dog in her own right, but we made that cross three times and it produced, uh, Lonesome Dove, which I owned for a while, um, Gavin's Little Annie, and, uh, Gavin's Rambling Rose, amongst others, and all three of them made day and night champions, grand squirrel champions, and what have you. I mean, so it was a very, very good cross. And there were a lot of them that were just, uh, you know, good dogs, but they just were not owned by competition owners, what have you. So that was probably the most consistent cross that was made with him. And to be honest with you, a lot of people had kind of forgotten about Apache at that point in time. He was had gotten some age on him. Um, Todd had made a, had gone with him up in Jamestown years ago, years before that. Um, when, uh, Adam Loudon still on him, So he was a real young dog then. And he kind of put that away in his mind. And so when they were looking to breed Taylor to something, the very first time, um, I remember like it was yesterday, Todd reached out to me on the phone. I didn't know. hadn't had any deals with Todd here before, and, uh, He said, well, look, he said, I'd like to see him go, if you don't mind. Well, it was the opening of uh, summer coon season, July. Of course, hot as Hades, but Gavin was just a little old kid then. I can't remember how old Gavin was, but he was very young. He's now graduated from college. Tell you, it's been a while. But uh, we all met up in the Delta and uh, took him out to a local management area out there. And uh, he put on a pretty good show that night in some very dry it was probably 85 degrees at 10 o'clock and i was hot but he put on a really good show um actually we had taylor out there with him and actually taylor's mother who was it was a nice dog out there also so todd said look he said i've seen enough he said it had been a long time since i've seen him he said she's supposed to be coming in heat here before too much longer i like to breed him i said well you're more than welcome to so um we did he made that cross like i said three more times and if you, you know, even though Todd got a very nice dog, he got Bayou Bob out of the cross between um, Hummer and and uh, Taylor, that if he had to do all over again, he told me, he said, look, he said, I'd have better to Apache a fourth time, you know, just to see, because they did, they did make very nice dogs. So that was one cross that I think was particularly good. Um, I was always proud of the fact, Kobe, that you know, I wrote up a little one page thing to give to the board members and all that um when it came time to vote on um his nomination for the hall of fame and uh i think at that time back in 2016 he had six dogs or thereabouts that were omcba champions in varying degrees and some of multiple hunt titles but, like they're out of five different females, and the females were all very differently bred. so that was something I always thought was kind of neat. One of the test in my mind at least of of a dog that's a reproducer is that if he can produce with some regularity with different strains or bloodlines of dogs that you cross him onto because then the common denominator is him mm-hmm. you know so um I was always kind of proud of that fact, but no, I wouldn't I'm not gonna sit here and tell anybody that uh, he was. Uh, uh, one of the historically great um, stud dogs in the OMCBA, but he, I think he did his part because, like you said, if you look in, yeah, you know, we could get on Facebook tonight and go to the Hot mm-hmm. Hunt page or some other dog-related page and somebody's posting a pedigree, and there's a good chance. Now, it won't be much, much longer because as time passes and dog lives are shorter, he'll start sliding off the uh, back line of the pedigree, you know, the deepest mm-hmm. line of the pedigree, but, yeah, there's there's not uh of course i'm a little biased but there's not a whole lot of dogs and pedigrees to get posted on there that either show up in there to some degree
0: uh, i know that we talked about this a little bit before we started recording can you kind of give us a little bit of backstory on on apache before you got him as far as who had him and where he came from
1: yeah so the first time he came up on my radar so to speak was and i'm really this is really going way back though so, all of us who thought we were interested in squirrel dogs, whether competition or pleasure, but um, of any kind, feist and hounds and all mixed breeds, but mountain curs as well, we all were on Squirrel Dog Central back in the day. I don't even know if you. I was.
0: <laughs> I was. I was on Squirrel Dog Central. I never could. Okay. I never was cool enough to get on haters, but I was on Squirrel Dog Central <laughs> for a long time.
1: Well, you know, so Squirrel Dog Central and some of the tightening up and changing of the rules and not letting us have our banner back and forth is what, you know, gave rise to uh, Squirrel haters. But but I ran across Adam and Chuck and, and consequently Apache on uh, Squirrel Dog Central because Adam, being a teenager at the time and rightfully proud of his dog and all that i mean look you get on log into squirrel dog central and especially on the monday after he would had the weekend off to go hunt you know and there'd be uh we didn't do videos back in those days i don't think he might have posted one on there but i don't it was mostly still photographs and and you know some sort of write-up about what he and his dog had done over the weekend and then also he started competition very early so it all kind of got my interest because there was a little bit of buzz, you know, going around about that. And so, um, at this, around this same time, which would have been around 2000 to 2003 ish, I was fortunate enough to hunt twice in the same hunting season. It like straddled the, you know, a calendar year. It was once in the fall and once towards the end of the season after the first year. But I was fortunate enough to hunt with, um, Cars Creek cause when Jimmy Crocker from Georgia owned it. And, you know, I had been around at that point in time, like we talked about. I, you know, was hunting with some regularity with Danny Wilkinson and Jane Spencer and some other people who, you know, had some pretty good dogs. And I went hunting with um, cause the first time over in the Delta. And I'm not going to lie to you, the first time that dog rolled up on the tree and cut loose, I thought, wow. I said, that's a little something different I'd been with and even had some very nice squirrel dogs, but I didn't have anything treated like that. I mean, cause was a very classic. He was, he was a big, big lanky dog, had a head like an anvil and had a booming mouth, had a great cadence. I mean, he treated more like a hound than a cur dog, but he was, you know, rental dog. And I kind of filed that away in my mind. And I thought, okay, you know, and then I'd heard about Apache, you know, on squirrel dog central. And finally, I can't remember exactly what year it was, Kobe. I want to say it was probably in 03. And because again, Adam was a was a high schooler at the time, the only time that he and his family made it down to Jamestown would have been the June hunt while he was off out of school for the summer. And so having seen about him and read about him and kind of followed him a little bit from afar on Squirrel Dog Central, I got I made a point to reach out to him ahead of the I want to say it was a June 03 hunt, maybe June 04, somewhere around there. And uh, we went out on what I call a fun run a Friday before the hunt. We had gone to a local hunting club that Adam had gotten permission. They took um, Apache and one or two other dogs, just kind of let them stretch their legs, make a few trees, and kind of, you know, after riding in the dog box before the hunt started the next day and that was the first time i saw him in person and it was very reminiscent of my first experience with cause is that first time that little black brindle rascal rolled off down in the hollow down there and sat in the tree and i thought oh crap look at this because he was a much smaller dog and you know compact you know tighter built and all that but when he started out on that tree i thought yeah i was i said okay so that's now the second one so they do make curd dogs in tree. Like their tails are on fire and their ass is catching. (laughs) And so I had a uh, double granddaughter, a Jordan Creek tag. That uh, was actually my first registered mountain cur. And so she I talked to the Loudons before I left and said, hey, not going to be able to drive all the way up to West Virginia to get this done. I said, but maybe you can ship me some semen and we'll see if we can have her order A.I. Well, that didn't work, but so I actually tried to get a litter of puppies out of a female of mine and uh, an Apache. And then, you know, kind of kept up with him. By that time, we kind of all migrated over from Squirrel Dog Central to uh, squirrel haters and all that. And long story short is um, towards the end of 04, maybe the first part of 05, Although I talked to Adam and Chuck and, you know, both on message boards as well as, you know, by phone. And when I saw him at Jamestown, those two junes, that uh, I get a call out of the blue from Adam. And he says, Look, he says, I'm about to, uh, you know, move to Indiana to go to college and uh, I'm not going to be able to do the dog justice. Don't want to sell him to just anybody, but I know you've always kind of been fond of the dog, which I would like, I would love for you to buy him. I said, "Well, okay." I said, "Well, let's get around to the big question." I said, "What do you want for him?" <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Adam, again being an eighteen-year-old, you know, young kid at the time, and me being a, you know, hell, you five, I was how probably forty-ish. Um, I'm sitting here thinking, "Okay, I know this is probably going to be a big number." Because when I was eighteen, I didn't really have a good grasp on what money, you know, what the value of a dollar was and what happened. So he shot me a number, and I said, "Woo!" I said, "That's uh, that's that's a little steep, Adam." I said, "But no worries." I said, y- "You know, of course, Adam, very polite, you know, polite, well mannered young man." He said, "Well, I didn't mean to offend you, Mister Mark." I said, "No, you have not offended me." I said, "I get it." I said, "I got a couple calls I need to make." I said. The- Or not called. I got a couple conversations I need to have. The first of which is with the boss lady here at the house. I said, because if I spend anywhere near that kind of money, I said that uh, I got to get permission from my better half. So we talked about it. And uh, while it was, I had no intention of paying that original number and didn't. But um, in the end, I figured, well, okay, rather than spending all that money out of my pocket on something that could die the next time you turn it loose. Um, I reached out to Dr. Mosley, who, like I said, had owned uh, the 03 World Champion and um, somebody that I'd gotten to know through James and, and, you know, what, James Mincer. And so, long story short, is we went halves on the dog and uh, picked him up at the March hunt, like we talked about when Alan brought him down there. And so, uh, Adam, we always joked about the fact that. Wasn't long after that, Adam got engaged and uh, bought his uh, now wife and mother of his of their wonderful children a uh, rather substantial engagement and wedding ring. And these people used to joke, including me and Adam, said, yep. I said, I see where that money went. <laughs> <laughs> so at the time, um, you know, the money that I ate probably wasn't uh, the most anybody had ever paid for a cur dog, but it was as much as i knew about let's put it that way so it was a uh, significant sum of money but it's money that uh man i'd spend twice that much tomorrow if i knew that i was gonna get the same uh if i was gonna get another decade of enjoyment with a dog like that i mean it was money well spent
0: yeah did we talk about the apache stomp before or after we started recording
1: i think before um because i was telling you about how i kind of caught up with him later on in life so Most people, if they ever seen a video of which there are several out there floating around, like I think I said before we got on there, that, you know, because uh, February 1st was the was the day he died. Back in 2016, you know, Facebook reminds you, you know, on the anniversary of everything you've ever posted. um, And so it popped up the other day. I posted a, a, a short video clip at a buddy of mine's place across the river when I think Apache was like 10 years old then. And I pretty much, you know, retired him. I take him out just there once a while. And uh, you could still get a flavor of even at 10 or 11 years old. I mean, he was still much of a force of nature at the tree. Um, and most people that hunted with him or have seen videos, that would be what sticks out in their mind about the dog. But as as I think we were talking about before we got on recording is that, the thing that if I could take one trait from him and have it in every hunting dog of my own, as well as for the rest of the world, for that matter, was he was just incredibly, an incredible physical specimen. His stamina was unmatched. I mean, he, uh, because down here, um, you know, it's liable to be wearing short sleeves in December going hunting. I mean, and the humidity is extremely high, can be god-awful hot. And uh, he was uh, one of those dogs, that I'm not going to sit here and say he never got tired, but it was he was pretty much the best athlete that I've ever been to the woods with. And one of the things that, uh, about the only thing that Adam told me, as far as advice on what to do with him and how to enjoy him, was... Um, he just said, look, he said, "if when you are when you get around to wanting to start taking him to some hunts, um, he said, do not be afraid to in the run up to the hunt. If you can swing it, schedule it, make time for it. He said, I would hunt his butt off for a couple of days before you load him in the box to go off to wherever you're going to hunt. He said, he'll actually hunt a little bit better because he'll take a little edge off him. Because he was wound kind of tight now.
0: The first squirrel dog I ever had was actually, I, I got from Dwayne Holland, and he was... She went back to Apache, but I think she was three, third generation back from him. I'd have to pull out her papers to, to remember exactly. Probably,
1: probably went back, if I'm guessing, um, one of the nicer dogs, one of the more accomplished dogs. I think at least as the time Apache died and I did that little resume or whatever you want to call it for his nomination, the only two dogs at that point in time out of him who were dual champions, in other words, OMCBA Knight, and squirrel champions, one of them was Dove, and the other one was Holland's Luke, who was out of his old Jammer dog in a And so I hunted with Luke. So Luke was Luke was one of those dogs, kind of like his mom, um, Jammer. I used to tell this about Jammer all the time that Jammer was one of those dogs that if you went to the woods with her, um, you wouldn't just be wild. but at the end of the hunt, whether you were you had a But had a scorecard and a pencil, or you had a game bag, and you got to figuring out who accounted for the most squirrels, either on the scorecard or in the game bag, it's probably going to be Jammer. She was just consistent and steady day or night. She was the same dog pretty much every time you cut her loose. And so he bred uh, Jammer. I want to say we made that cross two or three times, Luke Luke being the most – well-known and, and accomplished dog out of it. So I'm guessing that you may have got something that went back to Luke somehow or another.
0: She would show a little bit of, of the stomp every once in a while. Not very often, but on occasion, she'd do a little bit of stomp.
1: That's one of the great ironies, and I've answered this question 10,000 times, it seems like. So of direct sons and daughters directly out of Apache, I never own one that stomped at the tree and I've seen very, very few. And I go back to an expression I heard many, many years ago and I didn't think much. of it. I thought it was kind of like an old wives tale or something like that. But oh, some old timers I would hear both at Jamestown and elsewhere talking about dogs. Some of them would say, if you really want to know what's in your dog and how your dog reproduces, look at the third generation off your dog. Because that's when, for whatever reason and reasons beyond my comprehension, you'll see the traits come out, okay? Well, if you look at grandpups of Apache, great grandpups, and and even on down to great great grandpups, you will see a lot of them that stomp. But as far as direct descendants of him, sons and daughters. I can't name one off the top of my head that routinely stomped at the tree like he did. Now, according to Alan Franklin, because I was kind of curious as to where that came from. Was it a dust thing? Because like I said, I'd had a lot of experience with a lot of heavy street junior and Georgia bred dogs, and I'd never seen that trait. But I asked Alan, I said, hey, where does this come from? He said, Well, actually Thunder used to get wound up at the tree sometimes, not as much as Apache would with that regularity, not every tree. But he said Thunder would actually do that. And one of the best pictures, I want to say it was on the NKC rule book or whatever for years. There's a picture of Thunder with his back arched at the tree, and you can tell he's like he's mid-stomp, like he's on the he's on the upswing, fixing to come back down and stomp both of the feet in the ground. It's Taken on the, like a tree at the edge of a feet farm field or something or other but uh, yeah Alan Franklin told me that that was a trait from thunder so that's probably where he got it from but like I said it wasn't it wasn't prevalent commonplace in um, to my observation to Apache's sons and daughters but you move on down the line and you can still see it to this day in fact you've been dead now since 2016 coming up on you know a decade.
0: So would he stomp like that at every tree, or was it just when he was real hot on it? Or
1: well, pretty much every tree. Now, at night, um because like I said earlier, you know, coon hunt was a process with him. Like a lot of very nice squirrel dogs, the first time I took him out, he was lost. He knew we were in the woods, and I had old Mandy, Streaks Mandy, with me, who I told you was my first experience and taught me that. The Her dogs could be legitimate coon dogs. And she was out there running circles around his ass like he was some six-month-old puppy out there. Until the very end of the hunt, he finally split off from her. And the first time I took him coon hunting, he actually did tree his own single coon. But, I mean, up to that point, hell, she had two coons popped up on him before he even knew what the hell day of the week it was. Hmm. I mean, so he went through what I, at least in my experience, has been a natural progression for... Very good squirrel dogs that are ignorant don't have any experience at night. So first, they don't want to get out because they don't know where in the hell they are. Then, once they get past their fear of the dark and the unknown and, and and the uncertainty of it, then they get to that stage where they want to tree every damn thing in the woods, whether we're talking about possums, squirrels at night, this, that, and the other, because they get comfortable. So they start venturing out and then they tree what they come across, and then. If all goes according to plan, at some point in time they figure out that nighttime is for coons, not possums, not squirrels, not wampus cats—you name it—and daytime is for for squirrels, and occasionally the you know late stirring you know, coon stays out too long. And so he made that progression. Um, now, about the time that he got to where um, he was, what I considered a Pretty damn good um, coon dog. I had other dogs coming along that I was devoting my time to. So, I mean, I was one of those. I never did have any desire to make any of my dogs grand squirrel and night champions because I usually had something else that I needed to put my time into. And in his case, it was uh, uh, Apache, too. So I started hunting him, but he was the same kind of deal. That he was a good squirrel dog. But he didn't know his ass from first base about coon hunting when I got him. But by the time he died, he knew plenty about it. He was actually one of my favorite coon cur dogs that I've owned and hunted. So, yeah, that was kind of Apache's deal was that um, he was a little slow in coming. But going back to your question about tree style. (laughs) So here's a funny story. You said you want to tell a funny story. So when I get Apache, I start trying to take him coon hunting. Right after I learned the dog in the daytime and take, you know, get on the same page squirrel hunting. And, of course, down here in this neck of the woods, particularly around Cypress sloughs and and water and all that kind of stuff, that's where our coons are going to be with great regularity. And we got a lot of water down here. (laughs) And so, you know, it was a real hindrance to him because I'm not so satisfied the damn dog could swim before I got him down here. (laughs) And so I called the Loudons. I can't remember whether I got a hold of Chuck or Adam, or maybe they were caught them both at home. And I said, "Hey, I said, uh, what the hell is wrong with this dog?" I said, "I don't think the song gun can swim." And I said, "It's kind of cramping my efforts to get him, you know, rolling on coons." And I do remember. So Chuck must have been there because I remember Chuck saying, "Well, Horison, think about it." He said, "You know, the dog's name, for God's sake, is Mountain State." You know why they call West Virginia the mountain state, right? It ain't because we got a bunch of damn sloughs and bayous and all that that he's living in down there now. He said, man, he said, that dog never had occasion to, other than crossing a creek or something or other. He said, no. He said, he, probably, he ain't been exposed to any uh, sloughs and swamps and things of that matter. I said, well, he's going to have to pick up the damn pace. I said, because I'm going to uh, sling his ass out there and I hope he learns how to swim real quick. Is he going to drown otherwise? <laughs> And so as he got older and got uh, more comfortable and I knocked a few coons out to him until he really kind of got a, you know, a hatred of those and wanted to go get them. Um, He got to where he would, uh, you know, cross the water and all that kind of good stuff. Thankfully, not swimming in rivers, but going back to the tree style thing. So at night he was more prone especially in a swampy area where the coon you know tracks some water up on the tree and all that he would get up on the tree and tree more conventional then heat on the tree head thrown back and all that so at night was more apt to see a more conventional non-stomping kind of tree style but he would still do it at night too but it was especially like if he run the coon through the slough or something or other and came out on the other side and you could see where the coon, you know, left muddy you know, tracks up the tree. I mean, yeah, he was going to be all up on belly rubbing on the side of the tree and all that. But that's also about the only time that he would ever open on the track. He'd get out there in water sometimes, especially early on, and get frustrated. And he sounded like a damn babbling blue tick out there. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, whose dog is that? You know, the first time it happened, I'm thinking, that ain't my damn dog. It better not be. <laughs> 'cause I like a uh, I like a silent track dog, but yeah you know, he'd get out there and get frustrated not knowing you know how to which way to go and how to drift it you know while he was out in some water we're not talking about excessively deep water some of that stuff that you know maybe knee deep or less, but he'd get out there and get frustrated and he'd start opening on track I'm thinking oh Lord <laughs> but that, but that was
0: rare. Earlier you were uh, talking about how he would hunt with his his head up during the day. Yeah. How would you describe, like, his winding ability on squirrels, like if there were layups and and such?
1: I never – so the most conversations we ever had about that was usually between me and Don Jackson. And that's one of the reasons why I think that that cross with Taylor was such a really good cross because – she was 75 percent kimmer so like most kimmers i've ever encountered in my life she was didn't have the greatest tree style okay most Kimmers, you know even the very good ones and she was a damn good one you know they may stand at the side of the tree and kind of bark towards you as you're coming in the tree they're not going anywhere but you know she lacked for tree style and intensity but what she did have like a lot of kimmers was a good winding nose and i would never Tell anybody, and I'm not going to tonight, that Apache was what I would consider a good layup dog or a dog. Apache could run the shit out of a track and fast because he had his head up. And if it was at night, especially on a coon, that coon better get his butt up a tree pretty quick because, you know, he wasn't going to sit around there. Winding and or with his nose to the ground, he's running with his nose about, you know, parallel um you know with his back and he's he's taking the twists and turns out of the track mm-hmm. and so i wouldn't consider him um a great winding dog that was not one of his uh and of course winning dogs are kind of where you find them because i've had a lot of people tell me man i got me a good winning dog i love a winning dog and then i go hunt with the dog i'm thinking man i'd shoot that dog i said walk in there for three to five hundred yards or more on a slow day and walk in there and see that dog going between two or three different trees trying to figure out. I'm thinking okay, and I better not <laughs> when I was holding a scorecard back in the day, if you had one of those quote-unquote winding dogs it wouldn't, it wouldn't stick on a particular tree. I'm thinking okay, you got about two seconds you and your dog to tell me which tree, <laughs> which tree <laughs> we're going to score because you're going to take that minus. <laughs> so, No, winding was not one of his long suits. Track speed and decisiveness like i said it wasn't a whole it wasn't a whole lot of popping and pecking around and all that other than early on at night particularly in water coon hunting you know it might take him a while to sort and out. but usually if you heard him come on the tree and open his mouth that's where you were going to find him whether it was in the next five minutes or next five hours that's where he'd be
0: which you'd mentioned that he'd, he'd open a little bit uh on coon but uh, what what was his mouth like? I'm I'm sure he had a decent mouth, but Um
1: uh... uh, so real coarse and because of the tree style head was, was a coarse chop. No discernible locate, nothing like that. Um he was pretty much from start to finish, it was ow, 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 and every once in a while he ow. And you could like set a clock to it. I mean, it was that regular. Um, (laughs) The volume was not great as he got older, particularly because it's one of those things, you know, if you own the dog and you are with the dog pretty much every day for a decade, you don't notice things like other people would, but like, for example, Adam or Chuck or both or other people that hunted with him years ago when he was a young dog, you know, up in West Virginia, they might watch a video that I had put on, you know, the Internet. And I remember Adam saying, look, man, his his voice doesn't sound as loud as I remember it. I think even Alan Franklin or somebody said the same thing. So over the course of time, I didn't really notice it that much because I'm listening to and bark every day. But, you know, I think he lost a little bit. His voice got a little bit coarser. But um, the good news was, is that w- what it lacked in volume. The rapidity, the rhythm of it, i you could hear it for a long ways because you could don't. <laughs> the only time I ever had a little bit of difficulty picking him out was years ago at some sort of benefit hunt down in Natchez, Mississippi called Redneck Adventures, as I recall. Took him down there. Long story short, he gets out. Of, we're hunting in some hilly ground, kind of thin squirrels, the group of hunters that i was taking because i didn't carry a gun this this is let kids and other people shoot the squirrels they had gotten kind of tired lost a little interest and what have you and he went over and treated behind an old well. i don't know if well, you're from oklahoma so you have seen old wells. i'm sure mm-hmm. you know and they're going up and down pow, pow, pow. you know that that when it's rotating around that piston and he got on the offbeat with the old well, and he was he was a gosh, 750, 800 yards, something in there. And I said, yep. And he said, where's your dog? I said, well, he's treating there. You don't hear him? He said, no, I don't hear him. I said, no, I didn't think they wanted to walk up that mountain to get over there, the hill to get over there to it. <laughs> but you could hear him because when he and the oil well got off the same beat, so to speak, you could hear him play his day because it's just like this with me clicking my finger. I mean, this is barking like this so you could pick it out from a long distance because there wasn't nothing else in the woods or the surrounding area that sounded like him other than the one day he behind an oil well. <laughs> <laughs> so volume wasn't great um like i said no discernible locate or nothing like that now one funny thing he had a habit of doing he scared the crap out of one of them smith boys up there one night on coon hunt in jamestown so <laughs> let me back up one story before that one of the I think the very first time I ever took him out night, I know damn well it was the first time my wife had ever went with our dog. went out, it was warm in the summertime, took him out just to turn him loose, let my wife see him run around the woods, and he went in and treated in this real thick area. And like I said, I hadn't had him very long at all. And I walk in there and I'm trying to watch my wife to make sure she doesn't step on a snake and all that. So I'm headed in there to him. And it's a real tight area of me, thick and all that. So I'm having to stoop and duck and all that. So I've got the leash, tree leaders off. And without thinking, I come up from behind him. And I reach up and grab his collar to put the leash on him to get him out of this thicket and get back where I can see the tree. And he slings his head over and grabs me on the wrist. Well, I never had a dog like that before. And so with the other end of the lead, I go to whooping his ass and my wife goes to holler and says, Oh my gosh, don't be killing her dog, this that and the other. So I I I get back the next night I call the loudness. And I said, and I get Chuck on the phone. I say, Hey Chuck. I said, What in the hell's wrong with this dog? I said, That's something gonna grab me on my wrist, thought he's gonna pull my hand off last night. And Chuck just starts laughing. And I'm thinking, this is not too funny, because like I said, I hadn't had it all that long. And I'm thinking, and the next thing out of Chuck's mouth, he said, well, I guess you had never owned any hounds. Well, Chuck, Adam's dad, was, you know, come up hunting hounds as a kid, you know, for years. And I, and I couldn't help myself. I said, well, wait a minute now. I'm asking you about why this dog grabbed me at the tree. And I said, you're asking me if I've ever hunted hounds. I said, you got a confession you need to make? I said, because I spent a lot of money buying what I thought was a cur dog. And he said, no. He said, the reason why I asked you had you ever had any experience with hounds, he said, because that's not uncommon. You walk up and grab some hound, hard trained hounds off the tree, and you'll wind up getting grabbed. They're not going to maul you or hurt you or anything, but they'll sling your head over and grab you. He said, all you got to do is walk a quarter turn around the tree. Don't come in behind him where he can't see you. Get his attention. Break his attention at the tree. And then tell him to come to you, to whatever sapling you want to tie him up to. I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, I'll try that. But, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, got this alligator or something that's going to pull my arm off next time I take him to the wood. And sure enough, Kobe it worked like a charm for the rest of that dog's life. Yeah. She'd walk over to the tree. I'd walk into the tree, and most folks are looking up in the tree and this, that, and the other. And I'm trying to find out, okay, what, what, what sapling am I going to tie him back to? Because I never let him through with the game and all that because he was hard to get game from and all. And it just didn't, you know, he didn't need to get game in his mouth to make the next tree or the next 5,000 trees. And so the next day I took him to the woods, sure enough, I walked over next to the sapling where he could kind of see me off the side of the tree. And I called him, you know, in a kind of stern voice, I said, right, you here. He would come to you. He would turn around, face the tree, and he would put the right side of his rib cage on the outside lower your left shin, like clockwork, like a robot. Now, going back to what I was saying earlier, what you better not do is, and I'm tall, so it wasn't the bigger problem for me as it was some of my shorter hunting buddies. As soon as you reach down to snap that brass snap on that D ring of his collar, you better not have your head over top of his head because he's coming up with that first bounce. And if that dome of his head catches you in your face, nose, mouth, I got several buddies of mine wound up with bloody lips and busted nose. <laughs> 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 and so, going back to uh, that night with, uh, I think it was Little Ray Smith over at Jamestown on Coon Hunt, Donnie Clark was our guy. He's down in the little tight hall at the edge of the fence line. It's kind of more cramped conditions and all that. And I'm thinking, and Little Ray wants to go down there and see him. Because he you know, he, he said, I want to see how this dog treated. I heard about it. we <laughs> Get down in there. And it's almost like trying to, you know, get him leashed in a phone booth. And, and little Ray's over there all up, you know, up, up in my business on one side. And so I reached out, and as soon as that snapped clicked on that d-ring not only would he come up and so i'm trying to get out of the way because i don't want to he's up we're on the side of the hill and i don't want him busting my nose that night but he would also let out this really high-pitched kind of squeal bark at the beginning and then he would settle into that old course chop and when he let out that high-pitched squeal thing bark <laughs> little ray starts hollering Oh, my gosh, you got his ear caught in the snap? You got his ear caught in the snap? I'm thinking, man, what are you on tonight? Get the hell off of me because he's like wanting me to protect like like we've got a Tasmanian devil or something down there cornered up in the, in the hollow. I'm thinking, man, relax. I said, he's fine. I said, you can see both ears flopping every time he bounces. I said, the dog's okay. I said, that's just what he does. He said, man, he said, uh-uh. He said, you have that. I don't want no crazy shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> Cause he wasn't for everybody, man. I mean, like I said, he was a lot of dog. He would, he would, um, he was high energy. Um, wasn't super bad to chew, but you know, sometimes would chew like every other dog from up north. Um, he, it, it, I had to get in his butt about armadillos because you know they're plentiful down here. They're slow and they're a cur dog's dream because if they get their head in a hollow log or in a hole, even though the rest of the body's hanging out, as soon as the cur dog grabs them on the tail or the back of the shell, Armadillo's got one skill in this world. They could dig. And as soon as they start kicking do- dirt in the dog's face, it gets the dog amped up. And then you got this one big bloody mess. Cause Armadillo's not going to hurt the dog, but it makes a hell of a mess. And so he was very proud of them Armadillos early on. Um, so we, I had to get up in his butt about that. Um, but uh, you know, other than that, I mean, I think I had him run now he was a deer running fool when he was a puppy, supposedly. So the Loudons I think sent him to some Amish guys that they in the in the Allen use. And you know, it was a couple of times that dog had to uh, they had to go ride a couple mountains over to go find him because he would run the he would run the hide off a of deer when he was young. I caught him one time up here, not too far ironically. I did uh, from where we live now in the Pearl River up here. I look up and I see this doe and me and Eric Wally were hunting. Back when Eric Wally had a Pure Country Scout, former OMCBA dog of the year. And Eric's kind of gotten back in hot and heavy and her dogs here of, of late. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just two of us we're hunting in a swamp up there, and all of a sudden I look up and I see this deer just come hauling ass down through the swamp, splashing water everywhere. And I'm thinking, man, something's chasing that deer. And then I look and I can see coming down from the other the same direction that the deer came from i can see this little black rental thing just trucking it down through the water but it's almost so deep he can't run through there Man, i grabbed that tritronics and i twisted that knob till it almost broke it i hit him with that because he's good and wet in the water (laughs) that's the only that's the only time he ever run a deer around me of course, he went through a little phase, too, because, again, he hadn't seen these. And they were very plentiful back in the early 2000s when I first got him and hunting him in the Delta. We had a lot of wild hogs. Wasn't bad to chase him. Wasn't bad to try to catch him and all that. But he would bay him up in like a brush top or something like that. Because, you know, when I got Apache, that first hunting season was right after Hurricane Katrina. And while we didn't get a hurricane up here. We got a lot of treetops and limbs and, and all that blown down all in the woods in the Delta. And so the squirrels were feeding in there. So it was a good place for a dog to find a squirrel. But it's also a good place for armadillos to get up in there and, you know, find grubs and hogs to lay up and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, he went through a little trashy phase to where we had to get our mind right about um about wild hogs and armadillos he wasn't ever super bad about training possums at night and we went through a little bit i ain't gonna sit here to say he didn't now he couldn't kill a coon to save his life when i first got him it was almost embarrassing i finally kicked a big old boar coon up on him one day over squirrel hunting he treated one on the way back to the truck a big old boar coon and uh the boy shot him out but didn't get a good shot on him. And his coon stands up on the ground, and I'm thinking, ooh, this is not going to be good. We're going to find out something about Apache's temperament now because when the coon stood up, he was taller than Apache's head was. And Apache dove in there on him and decided he didn't want a whole lot of that. And so then the coon balled up on his head, and he started squealing like a little girl. And finally, he got back off and he went to booger barking at it. So I walked up behind the coon and kicked the coon back. He jumped on him again, and he finally killed it. But after that, no problems. But he just, I guess he just hadn't had any experience. And, you know, some of them are, are natural-born killers, and some of them are, you know, I've seen hounds the same way. You know, you take a 120-pound hound, they can't kill a coon worth of crap, you know. And some of them are, you know, it takes one bite, and they're done with it. So that was an acquired skill on his part, dispatching a coon. Now, his son, Apache, too, he'd run out there and catch him on the ground. One nearest athletic is his namesake, Apache, but he didn't have any problem. Hell, they'd be graveyard dead by the time I could get over there and figure out what had happened. He uh. was very good at catching and killing guns, but couldn't kill a squirrel worth of crap. <laughs> go figure. <laughs> if one ever bit him on the nose, that was a wrap. <laughs> but he go catch a fully live coon in the middle of the night out there and kill it before you could even get over there um no 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 drama to it or anything you'd hear you'd hear the coons calling as he was putting the cl- clamp down on it
0: yeah what was uh apache's confirmation like as far as that you have rear dues or double rear dues or what was his head and ear set like and
1: had no dew claws um Again, if the Loudons ever hear this, this has always been a running joke, especially with Adam, but also with numerous other people. Any picture you've ever seen, hell, somebody said something about the other day when I, when I again shared that, reposted that uh, post I made about him passing. So the full cry cover picture, and any other bench picture you've seen of me holding him on a bench, winning some sort of award or something like that, he had a little old nub of a tail. Now, in Adam and Chuck's defense. It's kind of catch 22. If they'd have kept it longer, it would have looked kind of like Mickey Mouse's tail because it was thin, pencil thin. But so they cut it pretty short. And so the ugliest part about that dog was his tail. It just wasn't a whole lot to talk about. Now, if you take that out of the mix, he was, well, he was an OECBA world bench champion and, and I think a WTDA world bench. I mean, he was a good looking dog when he was in his prime. As we talked about, I think, before we got on here, you know, I knocked 10 pounds off of him in the first nine months. I owned him, So I kept him at about 40 or less for the decade that I owned him before he died. But he was um, very thin haired. So his I mean, people literally used to ask me, said, man, what do you, you get that dog on the juice or something? Because he was very, very muscular. Very well-defined muscle, you know, kind of ripped like he like had had some sort of, like, you know, I guess an athlete taking steroids or whatever. So he was very well put together. Now, he was kind of like I used to tell people, if you went to the parts bin at the local speed shop and you got the best carburetor and you got the best exhaust and you got the best, you know, racing wheels and all that. Sometimes you put that all together, you may have the best of the best put together and it doesn't quite fit together right. But, I mean, he was a very attractive dog. He had, you know, longer snout to him. Feet were, you know, not great in the front, a little bit flatter, which was a trait of some of his offspring. But, you know, if you saw him, you knew what you were looking at something different. And like we talked about earlier, you know, the way he carried himself, um, he was, uh, I don't know, racehorse expert and all that, kind of like watching the Kentucky Derby or some other, you know, high-end horse race. You see how some of those horses kind of walk around, Out there on the grounds, Mm -hmm. that's kind of how he walked. Yeah, he—you could tell he was a—he was a very proud, proud dog. You know, he—he kind of. Now he was a little. uh, Here's another funny story. I remember the first time that the Loudons saw him after I had owned him for a while. They came down to not the world. I mean, not the 50th anniversary hunt. It must have been in '06. June of 06, they came down. So I had had him a little over a year by then. And brought the camper up there, had him tied out behind the camper, and I was off fiddle-farting around somewhere by the clubhouse. But then made my way back down there and ran into Chuck and Adam as they were kind of making the circular drive around. Ran into them after they'd already been down there chit-chatting with some of my buddies and looking at the dog. And I remember Chuck telling me, he said, look, he said two things. He said, "He said we just got done seeing Apache down there. He said, first of all, he said, I can't believe the physical shape that you have him in. I said, well, it may not show up tomorrow. I did. I, I come within a tree. of winning in that hunt. So, I mean, I said, I said, it may not show up tomorrow in the woods. I said, but I've been hunting the hair off that rascal. And the other thing that Chuck said, which I was always kind of proud of, was that he said he's not near as standoffish or aloof. And I said, well, there's reasons for that. I said, because I can't have a dog that I, you know, I don't. I had a rule with him and all the other nicer dogs I've had. I said, look, you know, as long as you don't bring something that, to the woods, that's ill or trashy. It, I don't want ill dogs. I don't want a bunch of fighting and all that and trashy because I don't want to sit out over and let's scribe all over creation looking for your dog running the hog or a deer or whatever I said I don't care if you bring a shih tzu, you you can turn him loose with apache and we'll hunt and have fun and so I hunted the dog with a lot of different people and a lot of different dogs you know during the time I had him and so he didn't have no choice but to kind of loosen up and be a little more uh you know it wasn't that for example, Cody, when I first got him, you know, and wanting to kind of bond with the dog because he's in a new place, thousand miles away from now, I would go up there and spend all time with him in the kennel and what have you. And he just act like he just didn't care about being bothered. Wouldn't growl, you know, wouldn't do anything, you know, untowards towards you. It's just like he just really didn't care. You'd reach over, and pet him on the head. He didn't like petting on the head. And that's a trait of Apache dogs. I got two up there right now. One's a double grand pup of, uh, Hummer, and one's a double grand pup of uh tank. And neither one of them liked you to stand over top of I don't know if it's a dominance thing. They don't like you touching them on the head. Hmm. They're not going to snap at you, not going to growl, nothing like that, but they bob and weave like they're bobbing for apples or something. They just don't like you touching right on top of their head. You can pet them all day long on the ribs, slap them on the ribs. Another thing about Apache that was kind of weird to me, and again, I think what's kind of a dominance thing is if you ever picked him up off of his feet, he would scream like a baby. Huh. And the first time I did it, I had a short-toned ut- utility trailer. We are getting, we got done hunting, and it was such a tight fit between the front of the trailer and the tailgate when it was down, so I could get him loaded in the box, or get him up on the tailgate, take his scars off, put him in the box, that I didn't want him jumping up and getting in the cables, you know, on the side, because dogs want to jump, jump that away if it's a tight fit. And so I picked him up, and he goes to hollering like I've put his foot in a bear trap buddy of mine comes running around on the pasture side of the vehicle it's like what in the hell are you doing with that dog I said not a damn thing other than picking him up and trying to put him on the tailgate <laughs> to get his collar off and so when I knew that and saw that kind of quirky acting stuff you can bet what happened every day for the next year or two of his life when I would come in there after letting them run around the exercise yard and clean the kiln, give them fresh water to come time to feed. I said, You know, you're not getting fed until I pick you up. bet <laughs> <laughs> you on the head. So, you know, it's just one of those ways you kind of get, you know, get, because curd dogs are quirky, even the best of them. Sometimes the best of them are the quirkiest ones. So, um, but yeah, he had a few little quirks about him
0: well mark that's about all the time we got for tonight i really appreciate you coming on here i've sure enjoyed chatting with you and and getting to hear about apache
1: well i thoroughly enjoyed it too and hope
0: i had not bored everybody today if you included oh no i'm sure i'm sure everybody will love it
1: my wife's over sitting across the room from me she's grinning like a boss because she all jokes aside she uh that dog was worth all the money and time. And if we spent him, because for the last probably two years of his life, we moved him down here to a kennel right behind the house. So he would sleep out, you know, he'd be out there during the day. But as soon as my wife got home from work, he'd come straight in the house, and that was her buddy. They would be over there. Um, He'd drop down on on her feet tops and roll around like a cat or something like that. I mean, they were the best of buddies. She'd get down there and lay down. Hell, they'd fall asleep on the damn floor of the living room you know, <laughs> some night. He was just a big, bad, mean old Apache. He was the that was my wife's dog with the last couple of years of of his life.
0: Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in and uh, take care and keep wearing out that boot leather.
1: All right, man. I appreciate it, Colby. Take care. All
0: right. I just want to give everyone that's listening a sincere thank you. Getting this podcast going has been a project. I really hope you're enjoying it, and if you don't mind, give the show a good rating and review wherever you're listening to it at, or share it on your social media to help get some traction. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to your feedback.